Okay. <laughs> Let's start. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to we're going to be looking at the idea of uh, preaching and uh, getting a sermon. My my interest in, if you want to call it the science of, of uh, preaching, just came because of being puzzled as to why some men's sermons were effective and memorable and others... Uh, if I ask somebody what the guy preached, they, the people who heard it would be puzzled and they could not clearly state what was being preached. And I began to uh, examine why that was because obviously I wanted to be effective uh, in myself. And so this is one of those things that help with uh, clarity in uh, finding revelation and uh, so we're going to look at uh, this is in my uh, regular bible reading a few weeks ago which is where most of my sermons come from just out of bible reading and seeing things in the word of god so we'll look at this I'm going to read in in genesis 4 uh we're going to read mm, Let's say start at uh, at verse two. Isaac, read starting at verse two, and then go ahead and read through verse sixteen. I think. Then she bore again. This time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Okay. So the the job of a preacher is 
uh, is to find out what the Scripture uh, says. So anytime you simply want to say something yourself and, and uh, you pick a Scripture and then launch off on what you want to say, that's always going to be bad preaching, so I don't, I don't ever recommend that. But what I'm, I'm going to point out here is what gives clarity in preaching. When I, when I began in my quest to understand preaching, and uh, I would ask people a question, whether it was in a series of sermons uh, from conference, or if I was away, we had a guest speaker, what was preached, and the people could not tell me or it wasn't clear to them, I began to examine why listening to the tape or going back and examining. And I discovered that usually they were making the mistake that I was, uh, that I made early in my ministry, and that was that they were, uh, they were talking about a lot of things from the Scripture. So, the ones that were memorable were ones that chose what we call a theme. And and we would, in, uh, I've referred to this as a big idea. So, here's, here's the thought. We're going to say, if you want to find revelation, you want to get a sermon, you have to find the theme. <coughs> what does that mean? What does a theme mean? The word theme means what? You know what that means? Main idea. Okay, it's the main idea. That means, so we just read here, uh, 2 through 16, so 15 verses were read. But what we want to uh, look at, what is one idea, the thread goes through all of those verses. That is what a theme is. So here's the very important, we're going to go through a little, uh, a, a little revelation skill here. And I want to point out that in many scriptures, there can be many possible themes. So, I cannot just approach the Scripture and make it say what I want to say. But the Bible is a very deep book. You could have numbers of themes. Any which, any uh, of these, you could preach uh, if you follow that theme. So, the... The idea is, first of all, you have to find out what themes are there. So let's, let's think about some possible themes. This scripture talks about family. You could preach a sermon about family relationships here because this is two brothers. And there is the interaction of family relationship. If you throw in verse 1, then there's the parent. So family could be a theme and that would be valid. The idea is whatever theme you choose then will determine what you're going to look for uh, out of that scripture. This scripture is a, is a very profound scripture. A different theme altogether could be uh, the religious nature of man. There's something in human beings that is religious, meaning we want to try to work or or present human effort in relationship with God, which is Cain presenting the work of the ground, which is his uh, 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 vegetables or whatever it was he's presenting here. That is a profound theme, and I have preached uh, sermons dealing with the religious nature of man. That would be a valid theme. Now, that's totally different from family. 
completely separate from if I'm preaching on family, I'm not preaching on religious nature, religious nature, not on family. This scripture, a third theme, you can preach, which I have a whole sermon just simply on envy. Okay, his brother, seeing that God favors uh, Abel, he hates him. Not because he's done things to him, simply because Abel has something that he does not. That's what envy is. You're upset at somebody else's blessings. So, that is a, a powerful theme all in itself. A fourth theme, in, and uh, I did a Sunday school when we were talking about uh, Hebrews 11 in uh, faith. This is the first mention of offerings in the Bible. And Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abel offered. So that is a whole thought in itself, is offerings. So you obey God. You cannot have relationship with God without it involving uh, a physical or a financial element. And, and uh, there has to be obedience to what God says. Offerings, that would be a whole sermon in itself. Offerings have nothing to do with envy or family. Or the religious nature. That's a completely different theme. Violence. You could preach a sermon on violence. Here's the first murder in the Bible. You can talk about sin producing violence. And that would be a theme uh, in itself. What are the roots of violence? How does violence manifest? The destruction of family, etc., etc. You can do a, a, a whole sermon on <clears throat> compassion mixed with responsibility for people. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is absolutely you are. Yes. You are responsible for other people. That's the whole basis of world evangelism. I just got back from China. Why should we care about China? They're not, that's a long way from us because the Bible says we are our brother's keeper. That's a whole thought to, uh, in itself. Another theme that we could choose is the nature of blood. Here is the second mention of blood and it says some profound things here. His blood cries out from the ground. That's a, that's a profound uh, statement there that uh, uh, talking about our, our uh, uh, sin that that uh, uh, does not go unjudged, that literally our actions cry out uh, from that. You can talk about the power of a curse. Is God pronounces a curse uh, upon Cain. You have done wrong, and I just preached on this, that, that what he has done wrong, the Bible says, is now going to follow him. It's going to affect him in other areas of his life. Uh, and and so that's the power of a curse. You could you could talk about the the uh, I preached a sermon one time on the mark of Cain. This is the stain of sin or the impact of sin that lasts long after the event. So all of those are valid themes. And this is a not every scripture is like this. Some scriptures it's just clear. There's only one possible maybe, but this. Uh, you, you see there is you could preach the I could preach in the morning I could come back 
tonight and preach two completely different sermons from the same. Now, when I first started preaching, if I look back at some of my sermons, my sermons were ineffective because if I studied a scripture, I would preach basically everything I saw. Now, I might not have been experienced enough to see all of that, but I would see numbers of different thoughts. And if I look back at old sermons, point one, and then I preach point two, and point two had nothing to do with point one. It's just something else I saw. And point three didn't have anything to do with point two or point one. It's just something that I saw. And at the end of that sermon, if you were to say, what did Pastor Greg preach? Uh, It was from Genesis 4. (laughs) That is what causes a sermon to lack clarity. That sermon will not be effective when it's preached. It will not be memorable. So, when I began to study preaching, I simply chose, learned to choose a theme and then follow that theme. So, here this is now a um, uh, what I actually wound up choosing, which is none of those themes. Here's another one. The theme that I'm going to choose for the sermon and we're going we're gonna to follow out is the nature of sin. So look at verse 7. Because verse 7 tells us about the nature of sin. Okay? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, or in other words, if you do wrong, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you and you should rule over it. Okay. So, good preaching is not, I want to say some stuff. Good preaching is, the Bible tells me what to say. So, having chosen the theme, what does verse 7 say about sin? I'm not talking about the whole Bible. I don't care about the definitions in every scripture, and you know a scripture in Romans. What does verse 7 say about sin? What does it say, Dwayne? It's opportunistic and it's aggressive. Okay, it is uh, uh, aggressive, yeah. And, and what's the difference in your mind between opportunistic? Well, what is opportunistic, it? until you open the door, <coughs> it's lying outside the door, it's there, but when you open the door, it's in other words, it's looking for an opportunity to rule over you. Okay, all right. So, and, and then what I, when I am, this is just simply, it was my Bible reading, right? I just started the Bible over again a few weeks back, and so this was just purely there. So, if I am going to preach uh, uh, this, which is, I am going to preach this this morning, is what I do is I write down things that I'm seeing. I'm writing down themes. But finally, then, in choosing one, what occurs to me? So, here is, 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 is Dwayne says, opportunistic. That's one possibility. Aggressive uh, is another one. Uh, do any of you have any other translation of, of uh, apart from uh, King James or New King James? Anybody else reading? What, do you, what does yours say? I can get NIV real quick. Yeah, NIV is, the one, is, is one that I want, if you can get that. What is it? What does the NIV say? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not 
do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. Okay. All right. Just stop, stop right there. All right. So, when it says sin lies at the door, the NIV does bring out what that word. I've already studied the word, so I know. Sin is crouching at the door. So what does that tell you about the nature of sin? Why is, why is the animal crouching? Predator. Sorry? It is ready to attack, which would be the aggressive nature, but before it attacks, what does a predator do? But what does crouch literally mean? Why? Is what? It's hiding. It's hiding. That's what it means. If you, if you look at this, the, the commentators or scholars say the word literally means what does a, you know, an, an animal doesn't go, hey, yo, I'm coming to get you. What does he do? He hides first. So, this tells us, this is actually what caught my eye. What is the nature of sin? Number one, sin hides. That's what sin does. That's what God is warning Cain of. He's come in this religious exercise. And he said, God says, I'm warning you, sin hides. That's a profound uh, statement. And then the second thought that, that, uh, that I wrote down, just said it a different way from what Dwayne said, is I said, sin overpowers uh, to have you, it says. The New Living Translation says, to control you. Okay, so, the nature of sin is, uh, is, is what? So, step one is to choose the theme. My theme is going to be the nature of sin, and there's just a couple of things about the nature of sin. Whatever it is that you choose, you can go different... A uh, slightly different direction that I'm that I'm mentioning, but those are two things that I see in the scripture: sin hides, sin overpowers. That's two things the Bible tells us about the nature of sin. That is true for everyone. So, step one in finding revelation is choose a theme. Okay. Step two then: what, having chosen the theme, what are you going to do next? If you're gonna if you're gonna find revelation or you're gonna build a sermon, having chosen what you're gonna preach, what? Go ahead. Well, that would be an outworking of it. Yeah, that that will be that will be part of it. So, what choosing a theme does is it tells you what to look for. Okay, so you have to follow. Uh, uh, you have to follow the uh, the theme, and and so. Uh, if we choose the theme of of uh, the nature of sin, following the theme simply in the scripture is whatever you see in the scripture. Uh, you know, you can choose sin hides sin, uh, uh, which is the crouching sin overpowers. That's uh, the aggressive nature and and wanting to control you. So that's you're following in that scripture. Step three is you have to now develop it, which is, uh, which is what you are talking about. This is what you have to do. If you have a theme, not every scripture leaps out at you as all three points. Right? It's not, the Bible doesn't come neatly numbered with point one, point two, or A, B, C. It's, it's not that way. So you have to think through 
the implications. What does the word implication mean? Do we know? Therefore, it's implying something. It, it is implying. It means if this is true, then it means other things. Okay, so there are ramifications. There's those. Those are words that uh, uh, have. So you have to. Revelation comes from asking questions. Okay, so before you, I always teach guys in, in preaching sermon. Go to the commentaries last. Right? Commentaries are very helpful on the scripture you absolutely know nothing about. But you should not go to a commentary first. I want to understand the scripture because, number one, as many times these are written, um, uh, they're written, you know, 1800s, many of our commentaries. Number two, they're, they're like really, really brainy dudes who are studying Latin and Greek and in the heavy languages, so they talk in complicated ways. Number three, they have doctrinal biases. And number four, they have an idea that may lead you down a path. So your job, first of all, is to think. You have to think and you have to ask questions. So let's just take our our two thoughts that we have so far, which is sin hides and sin overpowers. So we then have to think through the implications. If that is true. Alright, so here's some questions we have to ask. Who does sin hide from? So God says, I'm warning you, sin hides. From who? Come on, who does it hide from? What it's desiring. Okay, so first of all, I believe that sin hides from us. Okay, so think about what's going on in the Scripture. What is Cain doing when God warns him about this? Is he dealing drugs? Is he robbing banks? What's he doing? Pouting. Well, yeah, partly he's pouting, but what what was the action that that brought on the pout here? Right, so think about this. You're coming, I'm going to worship God. In other words, he's coming into church. And God, I warn you, sin hides. From who? From you. You have no idea what you are releasing in your life. Sin hides. So, uh, that is, uh, that, that is uh, true. So, if that's true, who does sin hide from primarily? It's us. So then, what would be a logical question? What are the logical questions that you ask? So, we said who. That's a who question. What? How? All right. So then, you see, this follows logically. If we ask, answer the question, we answer the question of what? What does sin do? It hides. Who does it hide from? So the logical question is, how? How does sin hide? What does sin hide? Consequences. Consequences? What it's going to cost you. That's true. That's an ultimate. Before you ever get there, what is it? How does it hide? Disguises it itself. It, you know, like drugs. <coughs> people think they're going to get something good out of it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's true. But uh, but ultimately, what you're really saying, though, that's another way of saying consequences. You don't realize what it's going to, where it's going to wind up. But what else is it? 
often in uh, things that look like innocent fun, like what good times, but there's no overtly sinful thing about it, but there's a lot of opportunities and issues that are... Okay, so you're saying then it hides the danger. Yes. That's, yeah, it's kind of related to consequences, but yeah, a little little bit different. Hides the danger. What else? Hides the open door. It hides the open door? Explain that. What does that mean? Because sin opens doors to other sins and other things? Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that can be. That probably comes when we overpower. That comes in the overpowering part. It, it hides in religion. Yeah, that's true. Is, is you can. This is part of the danger. This is why God warns him is because he's doing outwardly religious acts. Right? Do you know that not everybody who comes to the potter's house is saved? <laughs> I know it's hard to believe with our superior ministry, but it's true, Robert. It, it, it hides its strength. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to overpower you. It uh, seems very innocent. Okay, but that's all true, and that's valid to, to write down, but you're getting ahead of yourself. You guys are getting to the power. We're not to the power yet. So what is it hiding first? How close it is? Hiding is right there? Uh-uh. You're, 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 all right. So, go ahead. Sorry? In culture? Culture? Yeah. In, explain like, that. What does that like mean? A, so it's like, um, I don't know, a human culture to to have a couple, many wives. I don't know, a human culture so that people think that it's their culture that they can do it and not have to Yeah, I, I guess that could be. That would probably be getting probably a little deeper. I, I think what you're, what you're missing here is sin hides Motivation. Motivation. In, in 30 years of ministry and 38 years of salvation, I only have ever met one honest backslider. And that was when I asked him, why did you leave the church? Why did you backslide? And he said, because I wanted to get stoned, want to get laid. So... And the reason why that's so remarkable is because in 38 years of salvation and 30 years of ministry, what do people normally say? Why are you doing this? There's no love in the church, right? They've been wrong. They, someone hurt me. The devil. The devil made me. You're being legalistic. Yeah, you know, the church, the, the doctrine is too strict. Right? So motivations. It, it, it's it's never you know what it's it's because I want to do this it's it's always you know what else could I do or actually you know I'm probably helping right you know is is we're really uh, 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 we're, we're really uh, fighting a lot and uh, and so therefore I'm going to divorce you because I I want to spare you. Uh, uh, more pain. It's not good that the kids see us fight. Now, has no nothing to do with you have your eye on somebody else. No, no, no. <laughs> never, never. Is that your, it's actually kindness. <laughs> right? That, that's how... So the Bible says the heart is deceitful. Right? So it hides motivations. It, yeah, it hides the... Then you're talking about the other things you're talking about. The, the open door, the power that you're going to release, the cost, the consequences... Hey, do you know what? And shortly, you're, you're, you're going to wear the guilt of murder for the rest of your life. As, what? No way. There are people, I warn them. I, I warn you, this is a bad road. Where there's going to, no, I would never do that. 
Sure you would, because sin crouches. It, uh, uh, it hides. And so then you can talk then of uh, part of that. Then, of course, you mix into the power and the cost, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you begin to develop the theme. And, of course, <coughs> part of that is what does the Bible say about hiding true motivation? What does the Bible say about the cost of sin? What are some scriptures? Tell me some scriptures that talk either about the the hiding power. You say something, huh? The wages of sin is death. That's that is talking about. It's going to cost you something. You're going to get paid. You're not going to like what you get paid. That's 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 when you're talking about the cost. You would write that down. That should occur to you, right? So now we're not pulling every thought about sin in the whole Bible, but only as it applies to our theme, hiding or the power or the cost, right? What, what's some other scriptures that we could use? Okay, and the Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. The heart lies, yep. Um, if you sin, you become a slave to sin. He who sins is a slave to sin. All right, so that's the enslaving power of sin, yep. Ecclesiastes talks about uh, every working judge, whether secret, Every, every working judge, whether uh, good or evil, even those things that are in secret. Okay, so that's, the, of course, the, uh, the judgment of sin. All right, so you, you get the idea. So we, we chose the theme. What do we look for in the Scripture? But that tells us the importance of a theme. The reason why themes or big ideas make preaching clear, it tells us what to look for but it also tells us what to leave out. So, family is not the important issue here. Uh, uh, You know, maybe envy is not the importance of offerings and faith in an offering is not what we're going to talk about, even though it's in the Scripture. So therefore, it clarifies. That's the important thing that a theme does. And as I, I, I just was... Uh, uh, kind of in the mornings talking with pastors and, and kind of instructing them a little bit about preaching, choosing a theme makes it much easier on you. It makes the process, if you're just simply, I want you to preach a sermon from uh, verse 2 through 15, remember all the stuff that I just said, there's a lot there. So you've got to slog through, but once you have a theme, it makes your job easier. Because now, what do I look for? What do I eliminate? Nope, that has nothing to do with my, my theme, so I'm not going to worry about that. Makes your job easier. Okay, so now, the, uh, if we're talking now about the nature of sin, it, we've thought through the implications of that according to the Scripture, which is, it hides. How does it hide? Uh, then, you know, the power, the cost, uh, all those kinds of things. So then, what is now important to give people? Hope. Hope. All right. So, everything that we have brought so far is the problem. So then, what are we going to look for now? The solution or the answer. Okay. Okay. 
So then you have to, uh, there are, there are several ways you can approach, uh, the solution. Now, according to this scripture, what's the answer in this scripture? You should rule over it. Okay. That, that, that is. That God says God wants you to rule over it. Alright, God wants you to, that would be probably better, right? Because otherwise it's just self-help, right? Try hard. Be good. Don't do that. Sorry, what were you going to say, Matt? I would just say the beginning of the scripture is connected to it if you do well. So choosing righteousness, choosing to do what God wants you to do, obedience to God. (coughs) Okay, And, and that is true. However, I caution you, this is important. Preaching is never just a collection of stuff you should do and stuff you should not do. The job of a preacher, ultimately, all right, who is the Bible about? God. The Bible is about God. So, if you just, if we just approach it, all right, so don't sin and do right, which is valid, that's not incorrect, then we have just made the sermon about people. That's not good preaching. The hope ultimately, because if, if, if all we're doing is saying to people, don't do wrong and do right, then that's just another program. Isn't that kind of 12 step? Right? Don't be addicted. Make better choices. Wow, no one's ever heard that before. But that is not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about God. So the key question is, what does God do in this scripture? So now, think about sin. What does God do in this scripture? He warns and convicts. Okay, so first of all, He tries to prevent it, right? That's true. In the love of God, He tries to prevent you know, you're headed down a bad road and that in the love of God, that's what good uh, the Word of God does. And how does He do that? What are some ways that God warns and convicts? Preaching. Preaching to be number one? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, how? Conviction. Okay, and conviction and when? When would that happen? Prayer, preaching. Okay, yeah. Reading. Yeah, okay. So, so we have God according to this Scripture. Because the Bible is about God, not about people. See, the Bible, people in the Bible are in there only in their relationship to God. So your job is to show people God. So, in the love of God, He will warn you first. He'll try to prevent it. Then what does God do? What? So then, alright, this scripture says, unfortunately, He doesn't heed the warning. So, the question now is, what does God do after we choose to sin? Well, it doesn't just gush you. He, he, still, gets, he still gets involved in verse 15 about the uh, judgment seven times or whatever. Yeah, and how do you spell gush? <laughs> he, he Say that again. I, I, was, I was distracted by the gush. He gets involved in verse 15. So, I mean, but isn't that striking? The guy's a murderer. I mean, isn't that striking? Is 
This guy's a murderer, and God says, hey, I want to I protect this guy. Well, why? Sorry? Does he turn back to God earlier? He said this question more than I can bear. Well, I, I actually think he doesn't turn back to God, but that's not the point. But, but is, yeah. it, is it because God loves us? Absolutely. He made us. Absolutely. So? Well, I noticed that uh, God didn't prevent uh, Cain from killing Abel. He didn't, like, come down and stop him. He allowed it to happen. So he allows us to follow through with our choices. Uh, yes, he does, uh, although you, that could quickly become a, a sidetrack. That's true, Robert. But but according to our, um, I, I would say that as an aside. There are there are things that are said in a sermon that are not the main point. So you've got to make sure you don't say that as a main point. You're just in passing. God doesn't stop you from making every bad choice. And so, but then the key is what what now? Because you have to think of your audience. Uh, are you? Would you be so foolish as to imagine that everybody listening to you is always going to make good choices, <laughs> or that everybody has made perfect choices so far? Absolutely not. So you have to give the answer, and that is good preaching. So you present the problem, you present how sin works out, but point three needs to be focusing on God, God who loves, tries to prevent, and when we do sin, he tries to get involved to help. Now, this scripture has a big problem in it for us. And so what's the big problem? He doesn't repent. There is no happy ending. It'd be nice if he said, Oh my God, what have I done? How can I live for you for the rest of my life? But he's still a selfish, self-focused, it's all about him until the end. So, you, you're going to have to go now wider, looking at the principle of God who loves, you're going to have to cast the net wider to try to get help. Because unfortunately, he, he didn't uh, choose to listen. So, how can sin be fixed? It's primarily focused on God. And then, us, what we were saying before, you, you said some valid things about doing right and, and all that. That is only in connection with God, or else we're just a 12-step program. So, God will do the miracle, but you are going to have to do some things as well. All right? Matt, what do you say? Casting the net wider at the end to bring the hope, would you, would you bring in people like David and how he finally yeah. repented? Yeah, Tip, typically when, you, when your story ends with a bummer, you have to find a good contrast. A good contrast, as I have done whole lessons on this, you have two options. You either find uh, somebody else who did the opposite of what he did, who is somebody who did repent, David would be an obvious one, or you hold up Jesus Christ. That would be a, uh, you know, that, that he was the perfect example uh, of, of uh, a man who chose right. Yes. Okay. So now, I have the essence of where my sermon is going to go. Now I can then fill it out. I can develop my arguments. I can pull in scriptures, look for illustrations, etc., etc. But you see there, the theme told us where to go. Choosing a theme makes your life much, much easier. And I can tell you from personal experience, 
of slogging through Scripture, trying to find revelation, and winding up with a muddy, totally unclear uh, end result. Finding a theme absolutely changed my preaching, and it made my life much easier. And you can do that. What I just told you to do, you could theoretically do that with any Scripture in the Bible, any passage in the Bible. You could do what we just did. You can just simply write down what are the key words, the key thoughts, possible themes, what is it talking about, choose one, think through the implications, develop the theme, find the answer, and uh, and that's that's how you get revelation. Okay, Anthony, now questions. Yeah, have you ever developed a theme that like maybe a quarter or a third of the way through it, you're just like, wow, this is not right, and then just start it over? I mean, is that... Uh, yeah, it's possible. You know, I can go... Typically, I wouldn't spend uh, a huge amount of time. <coughs> uh, you know, it depends on how, how much advance notice I have until I preach it. That would be the key, right? Isaac? So, we you just showed us like ten different themes here. So you said one of them occurred to you. Um, when you look at a scripture, if you have ten themes and no, nothing is... Do you just pick one? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because they're all valid. They're all valid. Okay. Now, for for me, this is for for your educational purposes. What occurred to me was that idea of sin crouching. It was one thing that originally caught my eye, but I'm showing you that any of them would have been possible. So I'm going to preach this morning the sermon that I developed uh, uh, out of this. I did this as a kind of a sermon workshop in Carbondale a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to preach it this morning. You'll see that on the nature of sin. If you want to grow as a disciple, choose one of the other themes and do exactly what I did, what I just taught you to do, but choosing a different theme. Do it on envy, offerings, family, you know, whatever, and, and do that. Did you have a time in your ministry where you actually, this is going to sound silly, but actually forgot the Bible's a book about God. I, you know, I found myself wanting to put a piece of tape above my, on my screen. The Bible's a book about God because it's so easy to get yeah. a philosoph- philosophical... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, Dwayne, early in ministry is, is that I was naive enough to believe that my... If I just told people uh, what to do strongly enough or powerfully enough, that, that would fix it. And and I realized uh, one day that I wasn't God, and that was an amazing thing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in finally, be, you know, examining and wanting to help people, I, that's where I began to come back. God is really the answer, and I began to focus on that. You but, mentioned not not looking at study guide or uh, study Bibles immediately when you're trying to come up with your uh, with your basis. At what point do you, because I, I know you've mentioned that you do read with one sometimes. Do you read you know, every Tuesday? Do you break one out and study with No, it? no, no. Yeah, so uh, a study Bible is a little bit different in that, first of all, a study Bible has at the beginning overview, which is very helpful. It, it is. I think it's important for you, before you read each book of the Bible, you should spend some time looking at the structure of the book, which is what a study Bible does. I think that's valid. Reading the Bible and a study Bible every day is a little bit different than a commentator because uh, the study Bibles are generally written later on. They weren't written in the 1800s. And they're, 
not quite as deep and scholarly in the you know different reasons. So that's valid. I I read and and glance, but but one of the things I do is I don't let somebody else do my thinking for me. That's the crucial thing, which is a skill. So I could probably, with greater experience, I could look at it first and still not let it take me down a path. You might you might be better served to wait. And study Bible, I don't put in the same category as a, as a commentary. Right? Um, after you pick up the theme and, and you're thinking, you're working your way through, at what point do, do the three points really gel? Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, you know, verses or a certain scripture to, to make a sermon out of. I think, okay, I've got to think of three points. One, two, maybe three. Is that the first thing you do, or is it just a natural outflowing of thinking through the <coughs> No. Um, the th- choosing what the three points should be... Um, I may usually I will start if I'm doing it on paper. Now I will tend to type because I'm often on an airplane. It's just simpler to I'll do it all on computer. But uh, I will start with one piece of paper, just writing down all the thoughts that I see in no particular order. Anything that I see, then I select out what. Okay, this one should go with that one. So you're kind of organizing it, but then. Three points should be a logical, uh, a logical process. Yeah, it's a progression, linear in a line. Logic is linear. Logic doesn't go ding, ding, ding. and and the sermon that you find confusing is because the guy he said a lot of different things from the Bible, but they weren't connected. Linear thinking is if this is true, then that must be true. And then this finally is true. In this, you know, so I, I, I've, I've, I've given guys simple. When I first started, I, you know, I would try to think in terms of curse, cause, cure. Not every scripture fits neatly in that, but simply because that's a logical uh, progression. In other words, what's the, what's the, what is the problem? How do we get there? And how do we fix it? That's just one way of thinking logically. In this case, it to me it would be sin hides. Sin will cost you, and how do you fix it? In that, that's kind of a general idea of three points. So it has to be. There's a logical reason why you choose the three points. So once I finally do, that's that's then when I'm organizing. I'm jotting down scriptures. As I was asking you at certain point, hey, what uh, what scripture occurs to you concerning that? But Scriptures already had occurred to me as I was thinking of the thoughts, right? Sin hides. I think, ah, the heart is deceitful, right? I just kind of write down a few words of that scripture so I can go back. I'm writing that down. But then once I choose, okay, now I have three points. All right, do I have any other things I wrote down? All right, that one should be in point one. That one should be in point two. And now I need to develop it further. That's kind of the process of how I do that. In creating a sermon that's linear and textual, do you, are you hesitant to sometimes uh, bring other examples in, and or are you just really short on it, or do you, for example, you're doing something that <coughs> that um, uh, supports your thought in that particular time in your sermon? As far as like another person that did that, do you ever? Yeah, sure. So in in uh, I think in every sermon you should have. 
scripture that is purely just, uh, how would we dif- differentiate, um, uh, just simply teaching, you know, this is true, and then we should have, you should have somebody in the Bible. This is true for somebody. This is a, this is a biographical scripture. This tells us about people, so of course, we're going to focus on Cain. But then we can throw in, who else in the Bible did that? Who else was deceitful or let themselves be deceived? You know, sure, that's valid, yep. So I think you should have both, teaching and examples. And then you just have to juggle which, the, the amount of time is, is how much are you going to mention, right? When it comes to word pictures in the Bible, you taught us that uh, Old Testament physical is New Testament spiritual, or that uh, I've heard many times that uh, water is a picture of the Holy Spirit oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So how do you know when something is, uh, when you're reading the Old Testament sometimes, uh, I, I worry that when I'm studying, like, am I over-spiritualizing this, whether it's, whether it's uh, a picture of the Holy Spirit or not. Like, for instance, I was reading Isaiah 40, springs shall break out in dry places and things like that. And it's a prophecy about Jesus, but I'm wondering, does that have to do with the Holy Ghost, or is that just talking about things getting better? Am I reading too much into that? Or? Well, I mean, obviously it's hard for me to say unless I look at the Scriptures. So I, I can't, you know, say off the top of my head, Eli, that's the Holy Spirit. No, that's Jesus. You know, that's too complicated. I have to look at it myself. But in in general, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, the, uh, Jesus is the Spirit of Prophecy. So the Holy Spirit and Jesus are obviously vitally connected, right? right? Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ enables the Holy Spirit to work in you. So they're both connected. Right. So but anyway, but back to your question about uh, yes, you could over spiritualize. You know, not you know, one simple thing is that, of course, you, you ever heard a sermon where the guy every little detail in there there's a hook. Hoops are like symbols of, you know. <laughs> There's also a mane. The mane is symbol of, you know. And, you know, it's like, come on, dude, this is like too much. So you've got to know what to ignore uh, in there. Not everything needs heavy symbolism. The theme will solve that uh, in there. And then, of course, you can't just make up your own symbols. That's why you need to study, right? You, in studying, a good study Bible, then ultimately perhaps commentators or, or whatever, then you get some basic... Um, uh, basic uh, symbolism of the Bible, and, and symbolism should not be overdone. You you can't preach. Um, there's another word. It's called allegory. That, that you know, guys get heavy into allegory, and um, this is probably deeper than than I, I really want to go. But there are guys that you know they. It's like this this. It's like this ethereal. Uh, heavy duty, you know, kind of a kind of an out there uh, revelation that sounds deep, but what does it actually have to do with our lives? So uh, the, the key is let Scripture speak. That's that's the key. Is don't make it say what you want it to say. Let it speak for itself. That would be the key. Matt. After you have the meat and potatoes of your sermon together, how much time do you usually spend on the illustrations? Yeah, you know, that's a big question guys ask me. They ask me that in China. I say it doesn't make sense for you to spend more time or as much time 
searching for an illustration as it does for um, uh, as it does in getting the whole sermon. So, you know, guys ask how many illustrations can be overdone, illustrations you don't put in an illustration just because it was a great story and you were really wanting to tell that joke. Uh, it has to have something to do with it. You know, uh, for me, illustrations are logical. The word illustrate means to open or to shine light on. It's a way of taking something natural and going, wow, that's like me. I always start with an illustration. There's a logical reason. is because people at the beginning of my sermon might not be listening. They're getting gum. They're playing with the kids. They're checking their phone. So, but then when I tell the story, there was a guy. He had his head inside the mouth of a lion. What happened to the guy? That's human. I want them to listen to me. So that's why I try to. And you, you know, I, you're teaching guys for concert illustration. Anything could be an illustration. You know, cats are furry. That could be an illustration, but it's not very interesting. You, you want something that will capture people's attention. So, so there's a, a logical. I say to guys, if you can, one illustration per point. But, again, you shouldn't sweat it and, and spend five hours looking for illustrations. One of the things is it, it takes time. You, you, uh, I, I copy and paste and file. I have a massive library of illustrations because I've been saving for years. I, I read something in the newspaper, copy that, and I have it alphabetical by... You know, sin, deception, self-deception, you know, uh, consequences. Yeah, and I can draw from those. Then, of course, I've, I'm skilled enough now that, uh, again, sin is an easy one, right? You know somewhere in the world somebody had a pet tiger. You know this, right? So, man killed pet tiger. And I promise you, you're going to have thousands of illustrations come up. Pick one. That's that's easy to do. Yeah. Somebody else. Can if, if you got many things in a passage, would you want to maybe pick one that would uh, benefit the people the most? Would that be something in your mind, or in the back of your mind? Yeah, sure. If I if I just preached, uh, you know, if I just preached sin on Wednesday, probably I'm not going to choose sin on Sunday, right? So variety. I haven't preached on family in a while. Let's talk about family, or you know, yeah. You, you, so that's why you keep records. As a fact, I, I can tell you everything I've preached for the last, <laughs> you know, the last twenty years or so. I've kept meticulous records. I can tell you exactly what I preached. So that part of that is is as a good pastor, as a wise shepherd, preach the whole counsel of God. Hey, I haven't preached on this in a while. So I need to I need to do that. In your Bible study reading, at what point do you stop and say, "Hey, this is good. I want to preach." <coughs> you know, everything could theoretically have, have, have some preachable content. And how, how do you how do you work that out? I'm going to do this one. Well, you know, the bottom line is that is is need. I have to have something. I mean, that's all there is to it. So need. Uh, pressure is actually good for me. I mean, different people function differently, but pressure is good. This came out because uh, I was flying to Carbondale and had to have uh, a thought for a, a sermon. And I had to 
I always teach. I don't just put together a sermon. I teach it. So I need that. So my Bible reading. Yeah, and I was in Genesis. And it's like I need that and saw and and uh, sin crouches and and from there I was off and then I okay. began to examine that. So very simple need. If you're pastoring by yourself, you know the the old saying for pastors: Sunday's coming, <laughs> right? And that's the key. You got to crank material out. So that's a. And, and that's a, a discipline as well. So for me, that's part of why I do series. It's a discipline. It makes me. And so, and I can work in advance on that. Somebody else. I did, um so the Bible like is a really deep book and so you could get something out of the scripture that's very like advanced. How do you decide like how deep you're gonna go? Like are you thinking about the crowd that you're preaching to or like Yeah. Yeah, your 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 crowd determines that, but <coughs> the job of a of a preacher ultimately is to make the complicated understandable. So there can be deep things, so you Part of that is it, you don't shy away from deep subjects, but the key is to make the complex understandable. So put it in, in simple terms. Part of that is you don't use big Bible words, right? So, uh, yeah, so it, it's not a matter of... I, I, I look back and, and so in, in South Africa, pioneering from the ground up, I didn't... I still let my Bible reading and, and normal study determine what I preach. It's just uh, I often simplified it or according to the audience, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I've been open two months was not when I'm preaching a sermon on sacrifice, dying to self, giving your entire life to Jesus, you know, is, is according to where, where you people are at. Yeah, that's a wise choice of the audience. That's true. So pre- preaching has logic to it. A lot of things are very helpful if you're logical, right? And, and this works out in a lot of different ways. Guys, guys hear these conference offerings, and so they go back to their pioneer church and they make every sermon a conference offering, right? They're going to pull and pull and pull. But but come on, man! In our last conference, cost us five hundred and fifty. $560,000, right? So it's, it's, of course they were pulling deep and hard for five hundred sixty grand. So to pay for that, so that's a mistake. It's illogical that, that guys spend that in every sermon. So that's true in preaching, right? If you have a whole bunch of women and you're preaching on how to be a good man, that probably is inappropriate, right? <laughs> Good. All right. So, you are going to hear this morning, I'm going to preach on the nature of sin. (coughs) So, you'll hear what I actually came up with. 
from this. There's the notes for this. And then I challenge you to, to uh, choose one of the other themes and see what you can come up with using the same technique.